Okay, today we will continue our studies in 1 Peter. We are moving with breakneck speed. We're covering a verse of Sunday. We'll probably cover about three today, hopefully. We're not going to be in any rush. We're just going to see what the Lord has to say to us through this. And just as kind of an introduction, let's turn to John chapter 15. And we're going to have Henry read for us verses 18 through 21, whenever you read. So Jesus promises persecution. You don't usually see this promise in the Bible promise books that you get in your local Christian bookstore. But we do have a promise that if we follow Him, if we're faithful to Him, we will face persecution. Maybe not very bad, maybe terribly. But he's promised, he promised the apostles they would. And uh, in other places in Scripture, we're promised that we will too. Now, these members of the dispersion that Peter is writing to, they had comfort in the fact that they are chosen in Christ. But you wonder if they ever thought about, is it really worth it? Is it really worth being chosen if we have to go through what we're going through? Wouldn't it be better just to be a regular old pagan and have a normal life? So that's what Peter is writing, uh, is up against in writing to this dispersion. Okay, now, um, in the first, I'll read the first two verses here and just review that real quick. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, as I've said before, the major theme is how Christians are supposed to behave and act in the midst of a hostile, persecuting world. And so the first thing Peter does is establishes authority and his authorship. And of course, he is well qualified to write scripture. And um, this letter was written probably from Rome around 63 or 64 AD. And what we are reading is Christ interpreting Christ's own work. Of course, this letter was written to the dispersion both Jews and Gentiles. And um, we saw last week Peter calls them elect. God chose them. They did not choose him. And it's according to the foreknowledge of God. And we looked into this, and foreknowledge is not just knowing 
in advance what's going to happen, but actually being very intimately acquainted with his elect and appointing them to salvation. And these first three verses all shows, shows the roles of all three persons of the Godhead, all three persons of the Trinity. God the Father foreknows and elects. God the Spirit sanctifies, sets them apart from the world. And God the Son sprinkles them with his blood, making them fit for service. So that's kind of an introduction. Okay, any questions on anything so far? Okay. <clears throat> then um, we're going to read verses 3 through 5 now. Um, I don't think I've assigned this one yet. Chase, I'll have you to read uh, verses 3 through 5 of 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay. All right, so this is what we should cover today. Now remember, these exiles are under persecution that, that uh, Peter is writing to. High level of stress. High level of stress. They were being mistreated badly. And Peter doesn't tell them just to try to, try to get to uh, tough it out, to get out of a bad situation just to take it, be good stoics. No, Peter doesn't do that. Peter has nothing to do that with that. He tells them that it is still their duty to bless or praise God. After the introduction, the first thing he says is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've been under persecution here before some, especially during the uh, pandemic. Uh, the government trying to close us down and things of that sort. Uh, we, uh, but we are supposed to still, during that time, meet together, bless or praise God. It's still our duty, no matter how terrible things get on the outside. It is still our duty to praise God. So persecutions are probably going to come to us. It may not be in our lifetime. It may be in our children's lifetime. But we all need to be sure of this. We still meet together and we still praise God no matter what um, anybody has to say about it. We are under the obligation to do that. Okay, now the praise is to be to the triune God. How many times have you seen a parade on at Thanksgiving or Christmas and they give thanks to the thin air. Well, we don't do that. We praise God, the triune God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God is the one now who sends these persecutions. You know, all things are under his control. 
He sends the persecutions to begin with, so he's in control. And the reason that we are to praise him for it is he sends these persecutions to us for our good. These are for our good. They don't just happen. That's what we have to realize. They don't just happen. There was a reason we were told to shut down during the COVID pandemic. God had a reason behind it. If you're a Christian, there was a reason behind your persecution. Uh, he's purifying his saints is what he's doing. God is purifying his saints during the time of persecution. He is making them grow. We grow when things get tough. Author Jerry Bridges, in his book, Disciplines, Disciplines of Grace, he makes this statement. He says, the road to holiness is paid with adversity. The road to holiness is paid with adversity. And that is a great statement. So the trials, we're to praise God because God sends the trials. He sends them for our good. This is when we grow. This is when we become more like Jesus Christ. And God is just doing to us what he's promised he's going to do to us. He's going to send persecution. All right, back to your notes. We inherit salvation, which is actually God himself. We inherit salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to this great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. To an inheritance. So, um, and the inheritance is our salvation. Now, um, we inherit all things. We inherit God himself. Let's have Hebrews 1 verse 2 read. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Okay, Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. <clears throat> okay, let's have Romans 8, 16, and 17 read. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ who inherits all things. So, uh, you know, we've probably all kind of wished we had an uncle that we'd never met that died and we got a couple of million dollars from that. That would be a dream, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, our inheritance is much better. That's, that's peanuts compared to what the Christian has promised in his inheritance. He inherits God himself. He inherits all things. And, of course, this comes only by the great mercy of God. By the great mercy of God. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. So the origin of our inheritance and our salvation is the mercy of God. <clears throat> Don't forget what we all actually deserve. We deserve His eternal wrath. We're spiritually totally depraved. 
which means we can't please God. Not, we're not as bad as we can be, but there's no way to please God. His wrath is upon us. But we end up getting God himself and all things. So if you ever want to feel better when things are going bad, sit down and think about what you deserve and what you've been promised. You deserve God's wrath forever. But you are promised to have God himself forever. He is electing us according to his great mercy. And because of his electing mercy, we have a spiritual birth. He has caused us to be born again. We're born from above. Um, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we are born again spiritually. And we have a living hope because of this spiritual birth. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And um, now only Christians can have hope according to that. Can a non-Christian have hope? I guess he can. have delusions. Yeah, it's more like delusions. That's right. They, uh, they are deluded. They, they don't live in the real world. They don't see things the way they are. Their hope is actually, well said, just a delusion. They're out of touch with reality. They're in a make-believe world. They, uh, they pretend that God didn't create them. They pretend that they can run, run their own lives. They pretend that they're never going to be judged. So they're out of touch with reality. So any hope they have is actually only a delusion. Also there we have an inheritance. We've already talked about that. That we inherit all things. And we have a guarantee of God's protection. We have in verse 4, we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, that is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. (coughs) So we have a guarantee of God's protection. We have an inheritance that we cannot lose. Once you belong to God, once you have repented of your sins and you believe in Him, once you have come into the kingdom of God, you are protected by God's power. Your inheritance is protected. Nothing can ever happen to it, no matter how bad we are persecuted. And all this comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So his finished work is the ground of our new birth. Now remember, the fountain of it or the source of it is the mercy of God, that's one of God's mercy. We wouldn't have anything. But we see that it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, and his finished work is the ground of our new birth. Uh, his church has been formed and it is indwelt mightily by the Holy Spirit. Let's have Ephesians 2, 5, and 6 read. Alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, 
and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We're already sitting together in the heavenly places in Christ. He has been resurrected and we are seated there with him in the heavenly places in him. Of course, we're still here on earth, but in principle, we are sitting in the heavenly places in Christ. According to this passage, we are raised with him. And commentator Bear, not um, not Brett Bear, this is Bill, B-E-A-R-E. He makes this comment about our inheritance. The three verbal adjectives indicated, indicate that this inheritance is untouched by death, it is unstained by evil, and unimpaired by time. So, we have a wonderful inheritance. You know, you don't work for inheritance. It's given to you. So that's where the Christian stands. And then finally it says, God is going to reveal this to all creation. We will all be partakers of his glory. If you look over to uh, chapter 5, verse 1. It says, so I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. And of course, since we have this, according to 1 Peter, in chapter 4, verse 13, if I can get to it, pages are sticking together. First Peter 4.13 tells us that but rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now things are bad now but they are going to be better. Suffering for a little while now but we are going to enjoy God for all eternity. And Jesus says do not fear those who can kill the body. Kill him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Don't fear man, fear God. What was the last blank? Uh, God is going to reveal this to all creation. When Jesus Christ comes again, all of this is going to be revealed. Bill? Yeah. Could you comment on this phrase in verse 3? begotten us again um, that sounds a little odd I mean uh, begotten, so first of all Christ is his only begotten son yeah, we're begotten here according to this not only begotten but we're begotten again as if we've been begotten before um, I always assumed that that meant or I assumed that it was always taught that meant coming like from God like of God so I don't know if you I have anything on that. Um, no, I can't comment on it. Okay. <laughs> okay. But, you know, it's, NASB says born again. I don't see how that's any different from uh, 
John, you must be born again. All right, let's see. Um, what verse was that in? Yeah, your, your translation says begotten. Mine says born again. Anagonesis is the... It's literally born from above. Uh, just like Jesus says in to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Some translations will translate it born from above. It would just be our new spiritual birth in Christ according to this... Uh, the Greek word is anagonesis, anagonesis, which would be born from above. How did the ESV have it translated? Born again. Oh, okay. I think that's, uh, yeah, born again. Is, I think that's what the NIV has too. So this is just, a, this is a new King James I'm looking at here. Yeah. So, yeah. Some of the other translations have uh, given us new birth or given us new life into a living hope. Okay. Well, that clarifies it for everybody. Yeah, I think that we just begotten kind of a strange uh, way to put that. I think that's yeah. Okay. Any other questions or comments on those verses? Right. I don't think we get to score today. Well, I was going to hand out the next section. And uh, Travis, I'll have you read for us verses 6 through 9. Scriptures refer to Jesus as being the only begotten Son. It's monogamous. So it's a totally different word. Instead of ana being the prefix, it's mono. Okay. Okay. I don't know why that didn't strike me when you asked the question, but yeah, that is. All right, Travis has just read through us First uh, Peter one six through nine, and uh, remember now verses three through five. Um, Peter tells them that they are still obligated to praise God 
during these times of trial. That's what we've just been over in the previous few verses, that they are obligated to praise God or to bless God during that time. And in these verses, he tells them also to rejoice during these times. Not only when things get tough and you're persecuted, you're supposed to still praise God and you're supposed to still rejoice during these times. Now, where it says, in this you rejoice, at the very beginning of verse 6, and literally it says, in this you rejoice. Okay, now it's unclear. You can't tell from the Greek whether it's a command or just a statement. But uh, anyway, the idea is we're supposed to be rejoicing. And now that this, in this, is commentators are, are kind of, are, we have different views on what this is. I think the only one that really makes sense to me is that this that is referred to in verse 6 is most likely refers to their protection from a hostile, persecuting world by the Heavenly Father. That seems to be what the whole prior two verses, three verses, the whole prior three verses talks about is that you have protection from the Father against a hostile, persecuting world. So they are to rejoice in this. And we can rejoice in the fact that no matter how bad things are, we have God's protection. All right, the rejoicing referred to here in verse 6 as a connotation of a religious joy, according to Kittle's Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. They're having trials, but they will last only for a little while. This is now causing grief, but joy will come. In this you rejoice, it says, though now for a little while. It is necessary that you've been grieved by various trials. It's necessary for God to send these. They need to grow. So they can rejoice. They're coming from the Heavenly Father, from their Heavenly Father, and they can rejoice in the fact that it's for their good, and they can rejoice in the fact that it is brief compared to what's ahead. This is just a brief time of suffering. And then verse 7 tells us, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So verse 7 gives them the reason for their trials. They will be tested for quality. Their faith will be tested for quality. God is going to cleanse out everything in His church that isn't genuine. And it will result in giving glory God giving glory to God and it's going to be revealed to all we've already had that that thought that of the the revelation of Jesus Christ all this is going to be revealed now this reminds us of James chapter 1 
James chapter 1, James tells his recipients to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So this is not just a thought of Peter. James says count, count it pure joy and it's for your good. It's so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So if they would have this world and life view, if we would have this during our times of persecution and trials, then we would be handling this God's way. And when we handle problems God's way, we are going to have joy. You're still obligated to, you're still obligated to please God, no matter what's going on, no matter what's happening to you. You're still obligated to please God and to do things His way. Commentator David Wheaton <clears throat> states this, <clears throat> the purpose of earthly trials is to sift out what is not genuine in our faith. Okay, that's the end of the quote. To sift out anything that's not genuine. Um, Jill, will you look up for us, please, Matthew 13, 20? Uh, Matthew 13, 20, the setting of that is the parable of the sower. S-O-W-E-R. The parable of the sower. 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 And here we have the Son of Man spreading the seed that falls on four different kinds of people. And in 1320, one of those kinds is discussed. And we'll have that read for us. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Next question, yeah. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. All right, when God sends this tribulation and persecution, that class of people that Jesus is talking about is going to be sifted away. That class will be removed from the class of God's true people. So God uses persecution to purify his church. <clears throat> like we saw some of that during the pandemic, didn't we? Didn't we see some people afraid to go to church? Okay. Now, Peter, who had seen Jesus, and I'm not talking about for a couple of weeks, I'm talking about a long time. We all missed a few Sundays. Okay. Now Peter, who had seen Jesus during his entire ministry, tells the exiles that they love Jesus, even though they have never seen him. Okay. He says here that though you have not seen him, you love him. Now here's a man that has seen Jesus. He saw Jesus from day one to Day 40 after the uh, ascension. He was with him the whole time. We can understand how Peter could love him. 
But he's commending these ex, these exiles. Y'all, you hadn't even seen Jesus, and yet you love him. He tells the exiles they love Jesus, even though they had never seen him. He is keeping the promise. All right, let's have this looked up. Mike, I think you're next. Go to John chapter 14. And this is what we'll end on. In fact, I don't think we're going to get there. That's going to take a little bit of time. All right, we're going to, we're going to hold it there today. Anybody have anything to add?